The text for the sermon this day is taken from a few select verses from the three scripture readings. The first run from Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And the epistle lesson. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Practice these things, devote yourself to them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And again in John, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. These are the texts. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Just a quick question, since this is actually connected to the sermon. On that last verse, did it have a um, Trinity symbol on it? It did? Okay. It's a, that's what you call a, fan, a phantom doxology verse. Because it's not explicitly a Trinitarian one, but it's actually there. And I, ha- I had to listen to a, another smarter pastor to learn about that. So, but anyways. The last, last week we began this series of sermons talking about what it means to be a disciple. Last week I talked about the the word itself. Disciple, literally meaning student. This week, we're kind of breaking that part. What does it mean to be a student? And simply, we're going to begin with the most essential thing of a student. A student learns things. They learn doctrine. If, you go, if you're a student of mathematics, you're going to have a math textbook, and you're going to learn math. If you're a student of history or a student of science, you learn from those books. To be a student of Christ, to be his disciple, means to be in his word. To be dedicating yourselves to his scriptures. This is what Luther wrote in, the, the, in, his, in his large catechism. The third commandment. He says, Remember then that you must be concerned not only about hearing the word, but also about learning it and retaining it. Do not think that this is, it is up to your discretion 
or that it is an unimportant matter. It is the commandment of God who will require of you an accounting of how you have heard, learned, and honored His Word. In the same way, those conceited spirits should also be punished, who after they have heard a sermon or two, become sick and tired of it, and feel that they know it all and need no more instructors. This is precisely the sin that used to be numbered among the mortal sins, and was called assidia, that is laziness or weariness, a malignant, pernicious plague with which the devil bewitches and deceives many hearts, so that he may take us by surprise and stealthily take the word of God away again. Let me tell you this. Notice here he's going to be sarcastic, but even though you know the word perfectly and have already mastered everything, you are daily under the dominion of the devil, and he does not rest day or night in seeking to take you unawares and to kindle in your heart unbelief and wicked thoughts against these three and all other commandments. Therefore, you must constantly keep God's word in your heart, on your lips, and in your ears. For where the heart stands idle, and the word is not heard, the devil breaks in and does his damage before we realize it. On the other hand, when we seriously ponder the word, hear it, and put it to use, such is its power that it never departs without fruit. It always awakens new understanding, pleasure, and devotion, and it constantly creates clean hearts and minds. For this word is not idle or dead, but effective and living, even if no other benefit or need drove us to the word. Yet everyone should be motivated by the realization that through the word, the devil is cast out and put to flight. This is commandment is fulfilled, and God is more pleased in it than by any hypocrisy, no matter how brilliant. Those are the words of Luther. I know it's kind of an extensive quote, but very strong words. God's word, we learn it. I mean, even if by chance you know the entire word perfectly, which no, you don't, because if you did, that means you're God and you're not, you still need to hear God's word because the devil is constantly attacking you. Look at, what's go look at the way this world is. Look at the news. Look what happened in, in San Bernardino, in California. <laughs> look at what happened in Oregon. Look at what happened in the Planned Parenthood. Look at what happened at, happens at Planned Parenthoods. Look at all the things that are going on in this world. I connect. Look, look at the things such as human trafficking in this world. Look at the evil that's all around us. We need God's word. This this more this evening. We began the service with the service of light. The reason why the church gathered at night 
is because they could not gather in the day without the threat of being murdered. Or they'd gather really early in the morning. But basically, when the sun wasn't up, they'd gather in the darkness. And so when they gathered in the darkness, fearing that the Romans might break into their church and have them crucified, they would have that one flicker of light come in. And by the way, this is the beauty of the liturgy. This is why you go through it all of your years and you learn it and you learn it. It's because if anybody decides to burn the hymnals, burn the Bibles, that's okay. You already have it memorized. The sad thing is that so many, if this is actually one of the tragic things in churches that have thrown out the liturgy. With things like dementia and Alzheimer's on the rise and Who knows when persecution will come into this world? They will have nothing to fall back on when it's all taken away. And so we live in this world that the reality of this world, we need to be in God's word. And so like I said in the early church, when that life came in flickering, remember that verse from Psalms? Your word is a lamp to my feet. In other words, it was a reminder that no matter how bad the world came, and by the way, who is the Word? Jesus, Sunday school answer. Jesus is the Word. So no matter how bad the world is, His light shines in the darkness. The evil of the world cannot overcome Him. Rather, He overcame the world. That is why we began that with that light. And it works very well in this season when it's getting darker and darker. Not too cold. It's actually a pretty nice winter. But other years, actually last year, we had a different story. So the last two years. So the question is, so we, we are to focus on God's word. And so what I thought would be a good way to go this day is to look at ways to do that. I came up with seven, there's probably more ways, but these are what I came up with. Seven ways to stay in God's word as a disciple of Jesus. Because remember, Matthew 28, it says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and and teaching them everything that I have commanded you. So in other words, it begins at baptism, but it does not end at baptism. It continues with teaching. So the number one way, first, the first and number one way to keep in God's word is to attend the divine service. Come to, come to services on Sunday or Saturday evening Hear God's word. Receive confession and absolution. Receive the forgiveness of sins in the Lord's Supper. Raise your hand if you are without sin. Good thing nobody did because always there might be a lightning. I'm like, if anybody raises their hand, scoot to the side in case lightning strikes them. But (laughs) if you, none of us are without sin. Therefore, we all need Christ's forgiveness. And when you come to church, you receive that forgiveness in the Lord's Supper. 
You literally receive Jesus himself. He enters into you. Remember that old, uh, you know, the old prayer in the old hymnal? That we should read, mark, and inwardly digest God's word. Remember that? Especially on the non-communion in the old hymnal was always the prayer. And that's actually one of those things I kind of dislike that got lost in the new hymnal. But the pastor gets options. It's just we forget to put that option in. So, but anyways, that's, that is literally digesting the word. Jesus is the word. He's in the bread and the wine. And you're literally digesting the word of God. Who is God? That's why the, the, the Lord's Supper, when you really think about it, is an incredibly awesome thing. Think about especially on, you know, we're coming up on Christmas. One of the cool things about Christmas is that you're going to be celebrating that, you know, the babe in the manger. But the really cool thing is, symbolically, he's in that manger, reminded. But he really and actually is in the bread and wine given to you. So that's the number one way. And quoting 1 Timothy, he says, Do n- Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And he says in the end, By so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He's writing to a pastor. But... You can say that of yourselves because you also are tasked to tell people about Jesus. Number two, and by the way, you're, you're keeping this one right at this moment. But during Advent and Lent, go to the midweek services. In the early church, one of the, they used to have it for many centuries. People would actually go to church every single day of the week. They'd go on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And and so the way they would do it is Sunday, the pastor would preach on the gospel lesson. And then then two of the days, one of the days he'd preach on the Old Testament. Another day he'd preach on the epistle. And then there would be another one that he would devote to preaching on the catechism. Because the thing is, is when when you get confirmed... You don't graduate from the catechism. You still have to learn it. And so they would devote one day of the week to preaching on the catechism. While as culture changed, people don't go to church every day of the week. And so what pastors ended up starting doing is say, why don't we use Advent and Lent, these midweeks, to take the time out of the week. It serves two purposes. One... It forces you to be not normal, like Gary Teese likes to tell you to do, to be not normal and take an hour out of your day to focus on God. (coughs) But also, it gives the pastor a chance to focus on those things that don't easily come up in the lectionary readings. So it gives time for topical sermons, as we're doing, or to focus on the catechism. So that was kind of the idea of it. Number three, attend to daily devotions. 
You know, there used to be a time that nobody could read the Bible. Either they, they literally couldn't read, or it was all in a different language. Now, you have no excuse to not have a, be able to read your Bible. Raise your hand if you got a smartphone. Like a, either an Android or an iPhone or, or a Blackberry even. I know those are kind of dated. But if you have those, you, have a, you can get a Bible on that. There are Bible apps. If you have a computer, you have a Bible there. You have, if you're ever in a hotel or a hospital, chances are the Gideons have been there and there's a Bible there. You have so much access to Bibles that the top people at the time of Luther were being murdered. They're being burned at the stake because they wanted to read their Bible. And they said only the church could. But we are telling you, it's free there to you, for you to read. Do so. And there's many great resources. The portals of prayer which our, our denomination has been putting out for who knows how many years. Anybody, got, anybody have any idea? And So anybody remember when it started? Actually, you probably don't want to raise your head if you do. But um, unless you're really proud of it. Which maybe that is something to be proud of. But anyways, there's portals of prayer. In our, hymn, in our bulletins, there's the congregations at prayer that I've been providing. And those by the way, are not produced by me. I mean, I, I adjust them for our congregation, but primarily they're being published by a pastor up in uh, Sussex, Wisconsin. And many, many congregations around the synod are making use of it. You have in the little bulletin inserts that we have now, I don't know if you noticed, but there are two sets of scripture readings every day, which is the reason why the congregation at prayer, I cut it down to just one reading, so if you want to, you could use one of those two readings. We have options to study God's word every day of our lives. And also, number four, study your catechism. Read it. There's a reason why it's in the congregation at prayer. You're, like I said, you don't graduate from the catechism. This is what Luther said. In his, in his introduction to the large catechism, his preface, he says, But this I say for myself. I am also a doctor and a preacher, just as learned and experienced as all of them who are so high and mighty. Nevertheless, each morning and whenever else I have time, I do as a child who is being taught the, the catechism. And I read and recite word for word the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Psalms, etc. I must still read and study the Catechism daily, and yet I cannot master it as I wish, but, many, but must remain a child and pupil of the Catechism. And I also do so gladly. These fussy, fastidious fellows would like quickly with one reading to be doctors above all doctors, to know it all and to need nothing more. While this too is a sure sign that they despise both their office. By the way, he's talking to pastors when he's saying this. So if this is a charge to pastors, how much more do you think it's for laity? 
But anyways, that they despise both their office and the people's souls. Yes, even God and his word. They do not need to fall, for they have already fallen all too horribly. What they need, however, is to become children and begin to learn the ABCs, which they think they have long since outgrown. Very strong words. You don't, the catechism that we have, that's not the first catechism that ever existed. The Catholic Church has a catechism. There's a catechism before Luther. There's a catechism all the way back to St. Augustine. It was a very simple means to learn the basics of God's Word. That's the purpose of confirmation. That they learn that catechism. That they may be able to stand up against the attacks of the devil. Because when people come to you with falsehood, you know it's false. Because you know God's Word. When you don't know it, you could be led astray very easily. As the, old, the thing from NBC, knowledge is power. You know that slogan? And I don't have a star going, shooting over my head when I say that. No, wait a minute, sorry. Is that NBC? Yeah, that is. Or knowing is half the battle if you're a G.I. Joe fan. Number five, attend Bible classes. We have adult Bible classes at all three churches. We have one before services. Actually, all three churches, it's right before church. Here, it's a half, about 45 minutes beforehand. At the other two, it's about an hour before. There's opportunity. We have Tuesday morning Bible class. We have theology at Pizza Ranch, which is turning out to be a great opportunity to even be Bible study for people that are just randomly going in there to eat pizza. As we, even this morning, we had somebody kind of listening in. And so, there's that opportunity. And men, there's still opportunity for the Monday night football ones. Even though, yes, last Monday was an awful game. But, and not because of the Vikings, it's just because it's two really bad teams. And we're sitting like, is there going to be a touchdown anytime? But anyways... <laughs> Um, but there's an opportunity. We have five, you have five to six opportunities every week to learn God's Word. Number six, celebrate the church year, which that is what you're doing by today, going to, celebrating Advent. And yes, don't shortchange Advent. There's a great quote I saw online today called Advent the Rodney Dangerfield of the church year. It gets no respect. You know Rodney Dangerfield? Okay. So the reason is, is because everyone's like, ah, oh, it's Christmas season. It's like, no. Christmas does not start for a few more weeks. This is Advent. Don't rush it. Advent has a lot of good stuff in it too. Don't overlook it, because you're missing a huge part of God's word. And that is the purpose of the church here. I mean, think about 4th of July. Think of Memorial Day. Think of Columbus Day. Martin Luther King Day. All these days exist to give opportunities to learn about these things or these events or these people. The church here serves to learn. 
So like right now, you're learning about the preparation, getting ready for the return of Christ. When you get to Christmas, you'll learn about the birth of Jesus. You get to, you get to Epiphany, you'll learn about the coming of the wise men. That's what the church here does. It gives us opportunity to learn God's plan of salvation. And then finally, make use of your hymnal. Raise your hand if you own a hymnal. Anybody that's in confirmation should have said raise your hand unless they lost it. So your hymnal, sing hymns. When you go, sing hymns at home. One of the great things about having a hymnal at home is that you can sing whatever hymn you like. If you think you get to come to church, you say, oh, pastor, picked horrible hymns this week. You know what you do? Go home, pull out your hymnal. It could be an old one. It could be a new one. And if you need an old one, if you really miss it, I think all three of our churches probably have excess, and I'm sure we'd be willing to let you just take it. So probably true. We probably should talk about that. But anyways... I mean, just, you know, go back and say, just sing it. If you want to sing, an, you want to sing songs with Alleluia's during Lent, you can do that at home. Sing those songs. Meditate on the liturgy, the parts of the service. Think about those words like, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just read those words and think, that means I am a child of God. No matter what the world get, throws at me, I am God's child. This is what we are to live in. Living in God's word makes us strong. It makes us mighty. Because he is strong. And it guarantees that no matter what the world throws at us, we will stand. We will enter into God's eternity where the world has no power. Remember, he overcame the world. And God's word has power. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God, we, through me, God says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is so. He says through me, this is my body, this is my blood. It is so. God's word has power. Live in it as a disciple of Christ. And may these seven steps, seven ideas, be ways to do so. Make it a New Year's resolution. Be in God's word. Read, mark, inwardly digest it. Until he comes, in Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.